Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Kansas City-based jazz trombonist Stan Bach. He came to Kansas City from Portland, Oregon about five months ago, and things are taking off. On September 21st, 2022, he will be a part of the Boulevard Big Band at the Warwick, playing with the jazz heavyweight and Eric Marienthal. Stan was born into a musical family, and his father was a cornet player and high school band director, while his mother was a singer and pianist that also taught private piano students. After high school, he attended Fort Hayes State in Kansas and went on to the University of Northern Iowa. Along with performing, he is a respected teacher and champion of jazz with over six decades under his belt. We talk about his long career and his current home of Kansas City in full. Enjoy this interview. Hey, it's Joe Domino with Neon Jazz Radio in Kansas City. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm pretty new in town. I've, I've only been here about five months, so you may have seen me out playing, but uh, it's been more the last couple of months that I've been doing a little bit more gigging. I did quite a little bit of playing when I first got to town, but I was kind of sitting in, so anyway. Yeah. Talk to me about this gig on Wednesday. Talk to me about how, you know, you pulled in such a big talent, and just kind of talk to me a little bit about the show. <laughs> I'm a sideman. I got called to play with the band. Uh, Mike McGraw, who runs the Boulevard Big Band, uh, contacted me to see if I'd be available to play with them. And uh, I was only too happy to do it. Um, the concert or the, the event is going to be at the Warwick Theater. And um, it looks from the advertising, I haven't been too clear about this. We have a rehearsal tonight, so I'll know more specifically, but it appears there might be two shows. Uh, but the first one starts at seven o'clock and uh, tomorrow evening. And we're going to be playing music from the library of the Boulevard Big Band, which some pretty, <laughs> some pretty great stuff. Composers that I really like, Tom Kubis, who's a, a well, all these guys are West Coast guys, but uh, Tom Kubis, of course, Bob Florence and Gordon Goodwin. Um, so it's, it's substantial music. And, uh, then we're going to be playing, uh, music with our, the guest artist, um, Eric Marienthal. And again, he's playing a lot of Tom Kubis arrangements. I just love his writing. I have for a long, long time. Um, there was a while during my Air Force band career that we played, uh, music from his, uh, 10 piece book and well maybe it was a 12 piece book but anyway it was uh three saxes two trumpets two trombones and rhythm section and that was some of the oh that was almost as as good as playing some of those old uh, jerry mulligan or miles davis no net uh pieces i mean it's just wonderfully written music and uh so i i love getting the opportunity to play that stuff absolutely well you've had quite a career um, looks like you had a lot of time up in Portland. So what exactly brought you to Kansas City? How long have you been here? I've been here about five months. Um, the, it's a little complicated, but the, the simplest part was it's getting too expensive to live in Portland. So I was able to buy a house here in Raytown, and which I'm going to be I may live long enough to pay it off, <laughs> but uh, I had a couple of friends. Well, I still have the friends, but uh, that that played on the scene here, 
that I used to work with in Portland. And uh, my older daughter and her husband moved here about two years ago. Uh, and so when I came to visit them, um, my friend Brian Ward, the pianist, uh, had me come out. I sat in with him at some places that he was playing. And I, uh, as I was looking around, I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of, this is kind of okay. And so with the cost of living going through the roof in, uh, in Portland, uh, it just seemed like, well, that in the pandemic, um, my career just about came to a standstill, uh, like, well, all of us out there, uh, just because things were closed down for a long time out there, and uh, they were slow opening up, so it's like, okay, I, I, I think it's time to make a change. So talk to me a little bit about your roots. Where were you born and raised, and how did music, and more specifically jazz, become your life? Oh, Wow. I was born in the Adirondack Mountains of New York a long time ago, <laughs> and we we lived in upstate New York. My family did until 1961 when I was 11 years old. My mother was diagnosed with uh, uh, fungal infections in her middle ear, so they the doctor prescribed moving to Arizona for the dry heat, and in her case, it actually worked. It, it solved or cured the problem. Uh, we were there for about three years for my middle school, and then we moved to Colorado, and that's where I was introduced to jazz. Um, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, my dad was a high school band director and also was a brilliant cornet player. Um, he... he <laughs> I won't tell the whole story, but he was heard... Uh, by a very young Buddy Rich during World War II. Uh, he heard my dad playing jazz solos with the dance band that he played with when he was going to college at Ithaca College in New York. And Buddy Rich offered my dad a job with his first big band, and my dad said no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my, I, I think in light of, you know, in, in light of uh, Buddy's history, that might not have been a bad idea, actually. Agreed. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he wanted to be a high school band director. That's all he ever wanted to be. Well, we moved to Colorado during my high school years, and they weren't paying the teachers very well. My mother did not work outside of the home. So he put together a band. My mom played stride piano. We had a, uh, a fellow that was actually a saw sharpener for one of the lumber mills. Um, and uh, he was playing woodwinds, uh, clarinet and tenor sax. And then we ended up having this rancher who basically played boom chick, boom chick, boom chick on the drum set. And dad basically took me to the record cabinet and said, pulled out these Dixieland records and said, do what these trombone players do. My dad could play trombone. He could have sat down with my horn and showed me what to do, but no, he made me listen and study the records. Huh? How about that? And then he handed me a stack of, of books and said, learn these songs. Well, I had to learn to read treble clef on the trombone. So I could, but then I had to learn the songs. And then now when you, you know, when you're on the job, just play the melody. Just play the melody when it's solo time. And I was listening to everybody else basically, well, they were playing jazz solos. So it's like, I don't want, I don't want to just play the melody. And so little by little, by ear, I, I began to uh, uh, 
uh, improvise. And uh, I was just fine until I got to college and saw my very first chord change, and that messed me up terribly <laughs> because now all of a sudden I was worried about playing the right notes instead of just, just playing something that's lyrical. I'm curious what your first live jazz show was that you saw in person that really made you think, I'd love to do that someday. I don't think that I have that specific of a, of a, of a memory. Um, my dad was taking me out to uh, see concerts and stuff. Uh, well, all of us. I, I think it was just the, the notion of performing, uh, not necessarily jazz. Jazz captured me later. We went to see the famous trumpeter Rafael Mendez play when I was 15 years old. And I was just dumbfounded at, at how amazingly well he played um, and thought, boy, wouldn't it be good to be able to do that? When I was in college and I got into the jazz band uh, and started actually improvising solos a little bit later, I think that's when I sort of got bit by the bug. But uh, I guess if there's a seminal concert, uh, when I was in graduate school at uh, University of Northern Iowa, we went to Minneapolis to see, it was Chick Corea and Return to Forever. Al Demiola had just joined the band. They had just recorded The Romantic Warrior, or they were in the process of getting music together to record the album uh, Romantic Warrior. And on the undercard was the Chuck Mangione Quartet with Jerry Nywood. Uh, Joe LaBarbera was playing drums. That's one of the best concerts I've ever heard in my life. And uh, that, that if, if I had to name one, that might have been the one that, that, you know, it's like, okay, I really want to do this. You know, I know this is kind of an offshoot, but I remember years ago, probably in the 90s, when I was really starting to get into jazz and sink my teeth into it, Chick Corea came and performed with the Kansas City Symphony here. And he, there, I remember there were several times where he just kept playing and the conductor was just kind of getting crazy. And he just kind of was looking out at the crowd laughing and he just kept going and going. And there was just this air about him. And it wasn't even, it wasn't, had nothing to do with arrogance or I'm going to take over. It was just, he wasn't done. And he was just playing and everybody loved it. And it was, it was really entertaining and cool. And I didn't understand the history and know who a lot of these jazz musicians were at the time. But now that I look back and think about the way that he played and what he was doing, that a symphony had him in there, it was a pretty big deal. Well, sure. And, I mean, he was, when you look at the history of the music, Chick was at the nucleus of fusion jazz. I mean, he was in yeah. that band. He and Keith Jarrett were in that band with Miles Davis and John McLaughlin. And, I mean, it was an amazing, it was an amazing collection of people. That's that uh, Bitches Brew group. And there was just an amazing collection of musicians that Miles, well, that was Miles' great gift, right? Not only was he innovative, but he was able to bring groups of musicians together that were just, just remarkable. And that group, they went on, well, Herbie and, uh, and Wayne Shorter and Tony Williams went on to be major influencers in the fusion movement. But Chick, wow, Chick was huge in fusion jazz. And so, well, so for that matter, was McLaughlin. Uh, but 
all of that, Chick was at the nucleus of that in the very beginning. And so, of course, he was a tremendously important voice in the history of jazz. And, of course, I, I have several Chick Corea albums that uh, I just love. I mean, I, I love the record that Chick did with uh, Gary Burton, Crystal Silence. That's a great record. But uh, maybe my favorite Chick Corea record is uh, The Three Quartets that he did with Michael Brecker and... Uh, Ed Gomez and Steve Gadd. Yeah, I don't think I ever. I don't think I ever heard Steve Gadd play play jazz as well and as hard as he did on that album. I mean, that's just a wonderful record. And Chick. Yeah, he had he had so many great albums. I'm curious in your career, what was the first gig that you played in a in a big venue or an up just just a, a bigger gig for you where you were like, wow. I finally made it. Just something that you were just kind of bespeckled by. My last year uh, working on my master's, which was in 1975, our jazz band, one from University of Northern Iowa, went to the Wichita Jazz Festival. Uh, at the time, it was one of the larger, the, the Friday was one of the larger uh, uh, collegiate competitions in the nation. And... Uh, so we went down there, I think uh, Ashley Alexander, who was our band director, uh, wanted to help us to measure ourselves against some really outstanding collegiate bands. Um, and and there, boy, there were abundant, an abundance of them. Dr. Tommy Ferguson had the Memphis State Jazz Band there. I can't remember who was directing the Loyola of New Orleans Jazz Band, but they were there. Um, the band from Northern Colorado was there. They were really good. Um, you know, so I think it was to go down and measure against those folks. We ended up winning the, the collegiate competition. The big band did. Our combo finished second to the Lyle Mays Quartet. There's a name you probably will recognize. They were at North Texas State at the time, but uh, they went on to be you know to be kind of a big deal in the in the jazz world um, individually. You know, they went off and, I mean, Lyle Mays left town with the Buddy, or with the Woody Herman big band. But anyway, when we played on the festival program Sunday night, uh, I, that, that was a, that was kind of a slap in the face, kind of a wake up. Hello. We were on immediately following the Clark Terry quintet and playing immediately in front of the, uh, um, Woody Herman big band. And we're wow. standing backstage, and, and the, the closing act of the night was uh, Dizzy Gillespie's quartet. And so we're standing backstage. I was standing in the wings watching the uh, Clark Terry quintet on stage, and they had this guest vocalist that had been touring with Clark for about four months. Um, and I heard her, and I knew this is it. She's the next thing. Absolutely. She's going to take, pick up the mantle from Ella and Sarah and, you know, she's, she's it. And then she kind of dropped off the radar for a while, but her name was Diane Reeves. She was 18 years old and she's standing there just crushing 6,000 people in the auditorium. I mean, they, they couldn't get enough of her. And I'm standing there watching this and looking around and there's Clark and Dizzy backstage, uh, talking with each other and here comes the Woody Herman big band filtering in the back of the stage behind the curtain that was going to be behind us 
And I'm just looking around, and the guy that was the editor of Downbeat Magazine at that time, a guy named Chuck Suber, was the MC for the festival program. And he's standing there by me watching me, and, you know, as I'm looking around, and, and he leans in and he says, that's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> and, and had I had a little more presence of mind, I would have said, you think? <laughs> so, so, yeah, we, 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 I kinda, that, was, that was kind of it. Um, had a few really, really nice, I mean, many, many years later, had a few really nice uh, experiences in the Portland area where I got to play with, with some really incredible people. Uh, a couple of, a few years ago, um, the, the PDX Jazz Festival was doing a tribute to John Coltrane. And so they had his son, Ravi, come out from New York. And the, the idea was to do the entire Africa Brass album. So they secured one of the uh, local people to transcribe and arrange the entire score from uh, the Africa Brass album and brought out Robbie and the Oren Evans Trio, which also featured Mark Whitfield Jr., a ridiculously good drummer. Uh, I mean, it was wonderful. And we had the best seat in the house. We were on stage playing that music and listening to these guys just crush it. Um, you know, so uh, it's, I think that's probably why we still do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been playing professionally for almost, I can't believe this, almost 60 years. You know, that's a long time and there's something to be said about longevity. What's kept you going? What do you like the best about being a professional musician? It's going to sound corny, but every time you get up on stage, you get to start over again. I saw uh, an interview that Mulgrew Miller did a few years ago, and they asked him the same question, why do you still do it? And his answer was perfect. I, I completely agree. There are nights when it's just magical, when things are, are it, it almost feels like you're out of your body. Things are, the, the group and the communication, the, the, the level of uh, deep understanding amongst the musicians is so strong. It's just indescribable. Um, but you you want those moments. I mean, it's it's almost like a junkie, you know. He he, I wanted I want that again, and so they're kind of, in my experience, they're a little bit rare, but but we still we want to recapture that, or at least I do. And so, uh, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. And frankly, I think that a lot of performers are going to say that. Uh, I'm asked, so why, why are you a musician? Well, I didn't choose. Music chose me. I think a lot of people feel the same way. And so with that in mind, I just, okay, it's, it's what I do. It's, you know, it's what makes me really happy. You know, the one thing, you know, coming here to Kansas City, the world's opening up a little bit more with COVID slowing down. And have you been surprised at how flush Kansas City is with gigs and what the scene is like here. What's been kind of your estimation of walking into a place like Kansas City as a musician with so many decades of experience and being around the world? What's been your impression? It's terrific. And the quality of performers here is, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I mean, I've gotten to play with some really good players 
since I've gotten here, uh, I'm going to be playing tomorrow night with some really good players. That's wonderful. The number of venues, um, I've, I've been a little bit surprised, although my friends were telling me, oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of places to play. And uh, some of them have been saying, well, yeah, but right now it hasn't fully opened up yet again. So I'm going, oh, really? So it's, so it's actually going to be bigger. And they're saying, well, yeah, probably. So that part is, is wonderful. Um, the, the thing that I noticed about Portland, Oregon, was that it was a very nurturing scene. You didn't see guys cutting each other, cutting each other off at the kneecaps or, uh, you know, being super aggressive. Uh, they, they, we all understand how difficult it is to do this, and so uh, we we try to support each other. Uh, well, come to find out, Kansas City is the same, maybe even more so. Uh, musicians here have been very warm. Uh, that that seems to be a normal thing, um, which which I just absolutely love. Uh, the musicians that I've met and that I've got to interact with have all been that same way, uh, which is just wonderful as far as I'm concerned. So uh, Todd Strait's another musician from Portland that came down here. Yes. Are you familiar with him? He actually was from Kansas City that went to Portland, and I played with him there quite a little bit. And then he moved back here. And as I was coming this way, uh, I was thinking, oh, great, This is I'm going to get to play with Todd again. And then I found out he moved back to Portland again. So I was a little disappointed about that. Um, but I, I I also met Bob Bowman out there uh, because he's got, uh, I think he's got family out there uh, on the West Coast. And so those are two guys that I played with that I really was looking forward to playing with here. And uh, um, But Todd's brilliant. Um I've I've had Todd play on some of my own groups uh, when we were both together out there, and uh, oh yeah, he's he's great. When you look at your career spanning six decades, you know many stages, many different musicians, memories you've talked about. What are you the proudest of? When you lean back in your easy chair and think about all the things that you've done, what is it that really pops out and and makes you the proudest? Boy, there's so many. I've, I've been so fortunate, I guess, to have had some wonderful experiences. I'm not ducking the question. I think the fact that I'm still playing at age 72 uh, and still, you know, I'm, I'm getting my I'm getting my chops back together, uh, but still playing at a fairly high level at age 72. I'm I, I think I'm fairly proud of that. Um, again, I've gotten to play with some really wonderful players and to, and to have people actually know some of the musicians to actually know the name, uh, know my name. That's, that's, I, I feel good about that. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any musician, any jazz musician or group, where are you going? Who are you going to see? I'm going to go back and see Frank Rosalino in, uh, in the sixties. He played with a bunch of different groups, but, uh, uh, he was just such an incredibly exciting player. I, I got to hear JJ Johnson before he died. So that was wonderful. Uh, I got to actually play with Carl Fontana. 
I, not that I had any major role in it. I, I also got to play with Bill Watrous uh, at a at a festival where I was a, a faculty member at the at the school. Anyway, uh, I think I never got to hear Frank play live, and I, I think I'd like to hear him. Um, he had a really cool quintet with Connie Condoli, the trumpet player. I think I'd like to hear that live. What is it that you like the best about jazz? Why do you love jazz? Impro- improvising. I mean, the rhythm feels, you know, are, are uh, really resonate with me, especially uh, straight eighth note music and even more specifically Brazilian music. But uh, but it's it's improvising. And honestly, some of the groups that I've enjoyed playing with the most have been ones where things were really loose on stage and you have to you have to be able to respond to unexpected changes in the music. And I'm not talking about people making mistakes. I'm talking about uh, somebody decides that, hey, we need to change the groove here or we need to... Uh, the group that I... One of the groups that I played with longest in Portland uh, was a seven-piece group led by the drummer Mel Brown. It was a hard bop group playing the music of Art Blakey, Horace Silver, that sort of stuff. And then later added a bunch of uh, original music, some of which I wrote. Uh, and the thing with that band was um, we didn't stop in between tunes. There was a lot of direct segue. And so being able to be light on your feet on the stage was, uh, I, I loved that part. Um, it, there was a learning curve when I joined the band. <laughs> it took a while to uh, to become comfortable with that whole notion. But uh that band, we didn't know what we were going to play when we hit the stage. We might know what the first tune was, but for the next 90 minutes, the program was being called live by the music director. And so you, you just had to be prepared for whatever. And uh, I loved that. I loved that aspect. So when I'm on stage playing with people and somebody decides to take the piece in a different direction, oh, yeah, that's great. I love that stuff. Speaking of love, what do you love the best about Kansas City? I'm still new. Yeah, I would have to say uh, that it's the it's a very open and honest ethos here. Um, genuine. There we go. That's a better word. There's a genuineness about uh, about the people here in the Kansas City area that I really like. That's not to say that there wasn't genuineness um, where I used to live. Um, but that's one of the things that I picked up on since I've been here. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that. It's even more apparent among the music community that I've gotten to meet. So yeah, there's a, there's a warmth and genuineness. Getting used to the physical area is, uh, is, is, has been a challenge. Uh, yes, I, kind of grew up in Kansas and, and uh, well, my senior year in high school through college, I lived in Kansas and then immediately uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa at the University of Northern Iowa. And then my first Air Force band assignment was uh, Bellevue, Illinois, right out, Belleville, Illinois, right outside of St. Louis. So I'm, I'm familiar with the Midwest, but not since 1977. So, <laughs> So get adjusting to just the the weather, the climate, and the 
the, you know, I, I was driving into downtown Kansas City um, last summer and looked up and I said, who who took the mountains? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been asking that my whole life. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, no, it's, it's, that part's been an adjustment, which I'm still in the process of making, but, uh, uh, but no, I, I like, I, I like the vibe. That's, that's kind of it. Good, good. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. You have a perception of who you are. Who do you think you are? I'm still trying to find that out. <laughs> I like it. I, uh, I'm a musician, and I try to live um, try to live my faith, which uh, tells me that I I'm not successful, by the way, always, but uh, that I should treat people with kindness, that I should see them for who they are, not for who I think they ought to be, and that uh, uh, I need to I want to be. Uh, a person of integrity, and I think that that comes out in the way that we I, that we play music. Um, I think your your basic core beliefs come out in the way that you play the music. For me, music is an expression of of uh, not just the soul, but your faith and and how you see life. And uh, I, I want to be honest about that when I'm playing music. Dan, hey, thank you for opening up, taking some time out. Have a great show on Wednesday night, and it's great to have you here in the Kansas City community. I look forward to seeing you out there live, and hopefully I can get out there on Wednesday. Well, if you do, come up and say hello. I'm going to be the old guy sitting on the end next to the drummer. All right, the cool. Section. So come on up All and right. say hello. I'd love, love to meet you in person. You have a great show. Welcome, and thank you again. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Portland, Iowa, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Stan for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz, all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.